G'day guys, welcome back to Money in the Tank episode 42. Uh, we're all back, we're all off the sick beds, or Brad and Arnie in particular. We, uh, <laughs> we missed you guys uh, the other week, but we're definitely here and we're looking forward to filling all our tankers, the goodness of all the market updates and the economic news coming your way today. So without further ado, uh, my name is Joel Seach, Principal Advisor, Harpel FG. Arnie, Finance Professional. Brad, Generalist and Startup. Guy. Lovely startup guy. Love that startup one. So guy. <laughs> we're uh, we're into it today. So uh, last week we touched on a bit of the Evergrande information and, and touching, I think, just because of the recency of the current week on week CPI stuff, inflation stuff and interest rate stuff. I think we just keep coming with uh, with that sort of information that's coming coming through. And this week is no different with the Federal Reserve. So um, if we wanted to touch on starting off on the Fed Reserve's CPI, uh, latest data coming out uh, from the markets in the CPI. But Rivkin's. before we do, we've got to do two things. Rivka's oh. rules. And while you're getting it ready, Jolly, I'll just say, if you want to get us, it's at Money in the Tank on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please like, like, comment, subscribe, and send any questions, Q&A, or if you've got a good 50-50 idea for us, please send it through, because we love that. Jump. I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead, mate. I'm getting too excited uh, to touch <laughs> on the inflation rates. And oh, Jolly's saying positive inflation news and it's just jumping on it. Markets, so <laughs> markets are up. Loving it. Loving it. Markets are up. We're Bullish. rolling. Bullish. We're rolling. Um, so, yeah, so let's, uh, let's. I found the Bible again. It's back. Uh, the Bible is back. I love uh, that after a, after a small hiatus, I couldn't find it. Uh, let's have a look at what we've got right there. Was, there was fears, but uh, it's, it's good now. We're good. We've got page 54 or page 55. So uh, I've got two on page 54 for you guys. So nurture your insight, aspire to be a good insider trader. So not insider, it's a play on words there from Riv. And then have a, set of rule, have a set of rules that you must follow. Um, which is under the chapter of uh, the rules on investments. So, I say, think- Rivkin's uh, the last uh, at least three that I've been with you, Jolly, have been uh, above and beyond the usual Riv quality. It, it depends like- on which chapter we jump on, to be honest, because he's got different chapters. So, he's got his own personal things, and then he's got, um, yeah, so he's got Rivkinisms and. Uh, this is very, very philosophical lately. Yeah. I like the random nature of it, but I also think that having a framework is important. So that second quote, definitely, and we've touched on that before, framework for your investing, super important. Get one so if you don't have one. Remove the emotion out of it. Yes. Mm. It only took me oh, 15 years to work that out. Uh, <laughs> the sooner you learn it, the better. <laughs> follow the rules you set. Don't break the rules you set. Um, that will avoid a lot of pitfalls and a lot of issues occurring. I've always break, I always break my own rules, especially when it comes to like specky punts on like Australian mining stocks. I just can't like everything in my framework says don't invest in those. And then what am I doing? I'm investing in specky miners, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a, uh, I've got a pretty cool slide I'll share with you guys either today or on a podcast coming up where it talks about um, not reacting to market volatility and, and, and avoiding it's, it's a Dow Jones specific one. So Dow Jones being the American index, it talks about, if you invested X amount of dollars over 20 years, up to 2021, um, missing the worst 25 days, or sorry, missing the best 25 days, missing the best 20 days, 15, et cetera, et cetera. I think it's in the other order, missing the best five days. And it talks about what that would do to your initial investment if you were to miss those certain days. So I'll share that um, with the tankers, uh, either this episode or one upcoming. It's an interesting one, but I think that insider trading one is 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 an interesting one as well. I mean, uh, personally... 
uh, back in June when uh, the Goldman Sachs report came out on lithium. And I think I mentioned it on here um, at the time. You know, I was reading Canical and a bunch of other kind of um, investment banks thesis is on, on kind of lithium and um, it was very, very counter to what Goldman was saying. And he had lithium stocks all drop by about 40, 50, 60% in June. But um, kind of, you know, in CITER trading. Um, in CITER. In CITER and only what, about a month <laughs> and a half and uh, back up, you know, 50, 70% on some of those, uh, on the three that I bought. So uh, don't get me wrong, I, I get stuff wrong. very. But sometimes insider, uh, insights, that does work. One of my favorite quotes from one of my favorite investors, John P. Pingu, just bag hold until victory. <laughs> I believe in that as well, Arnie. Just, just okay. bag hold, mate. Just never realize those losses. No, just, just bag get, hold. In, get into get into things on what you think are insights and then just hold them. Eventually you'll be all right. Anyway, let's get into CPI boys. Who wants to kick off? I'll kick off. If okay. It's all right. Um go. I guess uh the exciting news this week. Um well, you know, the interesting news this week is the the new data. Coming out of the US, who showed uh, consumer prices rose 8.5% in the 12 months ending July, slowing down for the first time in months in a potential sign. There we go. The Federal Reserve's efforts to cool the economy may finally be working. Economists uh, were expecting prices to rise uh, 8.7% on an annual basis um, after they spiked 9.1%. And so uh, overall prices were... Unchanged from June, better than economists' expectations, so flat, um, calling for a 0.2% increase and much lower than the previous month's increase of 1.3%, according to data released by the Labor Department on Wednesday in the US. Um, I guess it's funny, you know, it's funny how the uh, the market reacts so rapidly to that, like the Dow bumping by 500 points off of 0.2%, um, you know, core inflation, um, yeah, increase, I guess you could say. Uh, sorry, it expected an increase, but it was 0.2 down. So. And then NASDAQ up, you know, 2.9%. Yep. You got crypto, I guess, you know, crypto and NASDAQ um, being growth stocks, obviously, uh any time that inflation is getting a handle on it and it looks like we're returning to uh, possible low, low inflation, low interest rates in the future, suddenly growth stocks and uh, crypto go uh, mental. I think, you know, ETH, we'll cover it off in our uh, in our uh, crypto thing, but I think it's up about 8 9 10% today. Um, and so it is, it is amazing, Joe, especially that um, I guess the majority of the... Um, I guess reduction or lesser than expected is all just to do with energy. Yeah, the decline. So that's decline what you were saying, Roger. It's, it's flat, and that's why the market reacted so well. But if you actually delve into the specific categories, food in America was still up like 1%, so they're still feeling the pinch there. Uh, medical gear was still up. And the massive drop, like you just suggested, was all in energy. And I think it was down like 4.6%. 7. 7.7%. Oh, was it more than that? Okay, yeah. But yeah, anyway, oh, sorry, seven point seven in gasoline prices. Yeah, okay, but across all of energy, all, I think it was four point six. Yeah. So that's that's why it looks flat. So is it's how is the situation there? Unlike, obviously, it's moving in the right direction. That's what you want is people overall cost of living not to be increasing anymore. But what do what's your perspective, boys? On do you think at the next um, meeting, do you think more hikes still? I think so I think there has to be. I guess we're talking yeah, yeah, domestically in Australia. No, sorry, I mean in uh, America. Yes. America, yeah. So in the US, uh, I guess just reading the paragraph here is the headline CPI index for July rose 8.5 year over year, but was flat compared to June. And economists were expecting increase of 8.7 and 0.2. Uh, 
Um, however, respectively, core inflation, which strips out volatile food and energy prices, also saw a smaller than expected increase. So it was slightly down across the board. Um, the Fed Reserve will weigh the report along with other key economic data ahead of its September meeting, where it's slated to hike interest rates again. So, yeah, um, yeah you know, the, the the Fed will do what it feels is in the best nature, uh, the best interest of the economy in America. Um, they'll obviously take that that information into account when they're making their decision, but that won't be the CPI figure. Not won't necessarily be the be all end all. Um, it may it may adjust how much they hike it potentially. Um, and I'm also interested to see how that then flows into Australia. Uh, as to where the um, the RBA, the Reserve Bank of Australia, expects um, their inflation figures to potentially be coming up for their next meeting at the start of September as well, first Tuesday of September, um, because I believe the Fed were about a month or two ahead of us with increasing rates at the start yeah, of... I think two months. Yeah, I think two, two months. months. I, mean, I, think, yeah. I think it was April or March, and we did it in April. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, in yeah, it'll be yeah. interesting to see how, I guess, our inflation, whether we're a little bit of a laggard behind, um, you know, the inflation numbers there or whether they're starting to see it cool a little bit here as well. I have seen a few kind of recent clips saying that it is starting to cool the touch here in Australia. What's your gut feel, Brad? Do you think the Fed's turning dovish and will pivot or do you think they're going to keep hiking? I, look, <laughs> I'm known for uh, my, uh, I guess, sometimes glass half empty opinions of uh, <laughs> federal and central banks. Um, and I think, you know, last time I was proven right. Um, this time, I hope I'm not proven right. I think that in the short term, I think they will continue to rise. Um, and then if I don't think it'll necessarily change necessarily their schedule, but if we see a few months like this where it looks like peak inflation has occurred, um, I think there's a few things playing in here, especially on the energy markets. Um, I mean, you have massive kind of hits to the energy markets in the first few quarters with, with Russia um, playing out and the rest of it. And there's been a bit of a rearrangement of it, um, energy supplies. And don't get me wrong, energy is still going to be a um, a big thing to watch inflation-wise for supply and demand due to the underinvestment. We kind of went into that in, in the oil episode. But I think we've also had like, you know, record in the US specifically, record um, inventory. And so... Um, that will start probably playing out in terms of some deflationary environments. And yeah. I guess what I'm watching for is that the Fed, uh, all central banks that have inflation as a concern, um, don't just take two, three months worth of um, you know, peak inflation data um, and possibly some worrying signs in the economy, um, you know, recession or job numbers or whatever, not that we've seen really anything in there yet, and start tapering off thinking they've got inflation under control. And, yeah. Um, and then flip-flop, because I think the flip-flopping, I mean, the, the, the quote that I've kind of stole out of all my reading was, the market is very optimistic about the Fed Reserve's ability to tame inflation. But as time goes by, and if the Fed is unable to bring inflation down to a more comfortable level, the markets could start to question their credibility, pricing in higher inflation expectations, well, higher volatility, especially with previous mistakes made. Yeah. And I think that's the key one that a few people have you know, made, Michael Burry's made it, all the rest of it, that the Fed, obviously, and central banks have to stay in control of inflation and not not just kind of whimsical, go that way, this way, and that way, this way, this way, that way. And so I'd like to kind of see inflation really, really kind of, you know, err on the side of getting inflation down over the recession fears. That's I, kind of where I am. Absolutely agree. Two comments just to wrap up that. I think... With energy prices, one thing we'll do well to remember is America is still leaning heavily on their reserves. So even though inflation is down in that 
particular category uh, as they measure it, it's not like they're buying it you know, in the market. They're using their reserves and depleting their reserves. And secondly, one thing which you touched on, which I think is exactly how I feel, I think the sentiment of this good result, if you want to call it that, a good result, has what it's what's caused the markets to pump. But I do think this is not like victory over inflation. It's like the first positive sign we've seen. So they still need to be very careful. And I think the only lever they've got to pull is high interest rates. And if they want to actually destroy demand, if they want to actually remove money from the market, that's what they have to do. They have to keep rising. So I think a hike is still on the table and I think a 75 point basis hike is still on the table. And then as Jolly mentioned, what do we care about? Obviously we care about our own domestic market. I think our Reserve Bank of Australia will have to follow suit. Uh, and I think Jolly and I said last time that we both believe still another interest rate, rate hike of 50 basis points in Australia is what is likely. And I, I still feel the same. Yeah, I'll, I'll probably go I think at least another 100 um, points personally. In America or here? I think both. Yeah. I think America is slightly ahead of us. Well, last week we said that I thought the split was going to be for America, 75, 50, 25 yes. till the end of the year. And Jolly said with Australia, he thinks it's going to be 50, 50, then wait and see. And I concur with him on that. Yeah. I mean, I think like 100. Like, so I think that same thing and then wait and see. Yeah. Um, I just hope that that wait and see doesn't go that flippy floppy. And Arnie, on your point, um, really to wrap this up, is um, one million barrels of oil in the US um, are being released every day from their strategic reserves. Um, don't get me wrong, they've got... they got a lot. <laughs> so it's like, uh, you know, they've got uh, 1,244 million barrels of... Uh, so they, you know, is that all? Yeah, is that all? Just a little bit. They could release a, a million barrels a day for four years. Um, but, I mean, that is obviously um, impacting energy and will continue to impact the energy prices. Um, but uh, that will kind of wrap up our uh, discussion, I guess, on the, on the CPI side of things. Yeah. Um, Should we jump into rapid fire news and crypto update? Actually, we were going to ask you about really, really Solana. Quickly. Just really, yeah. No, I'll touch on Solana on the, in the crypto update. Um, okay. Just wanted to go through some quick stuff in case people missed it um, this week from the uh, Chinese ambassador. Yes. Um, so as of today, um, so Chinese ambassador Taiwan, I'm just going to throw it all in the uh, in the same melting pot. But uh, so China says military drills near Taiwan have completed as of today. So that's some good news because um, they were playing absolute havoc with shipping lanes and... <laughs> Taiwan. So that doesn't change anything in terms of some of the embargoes on trade and stuff like that. But um, the military drills of uh, shooting artillery into the water and lobbing over ballistic missiles into contested economic zones over. Always a good thing. Absolutely. Always a good thing. Um, <laughs> I guess uh, Australia um, has been calling for calm um, to return amid the drills um, with Beijing kind of this whole past week demanding Australia and, you know, especially respecting China's core interests. And uh, I think what I found interesting was um, yesterday um, the ambassador, Chen Li, um, went to the press club. I mean, it was a bit of a non-event um, uh, in a lot of cases, but I think some just quick important points. Um, there was a question which was, uh, you mentioned the 50th anniversary of relationship between Australia and China. To mark this, is it possible that China will make practical moves 
to remove the relationship, such as lifting trade restrictions on Australia and or releasing um, Australian citizen Cheng Li. Don't know who, know who that is, so apologies on that. Um, I think that was, yeah, I can't remember. I think it was a journalist. But, she's, um, a report, she's an Australian reporter journalist. and she's been missing since early 2020 and the Australian ambassador was not allowed into her trial, closed trial. Nah, so. standard, standard close trial, 99.9% conviction rates. Um, but um, there you go, journalists got it right. Thanks, Arnie, for uh, the input there, mate. <laughs> um, and so the reply was, currently there have been top-level communications, high-level contacts, even face-to-face contacts. We have not yet come to the, the stage to discuss on how to solve these those specific issues, either political issues or trade issues or some individual case issues. We're ready to compare notes with the Australian government to get engaged in the process. Mm. Um, China has seen a possible reset of investment and trade relationship with Australia. Um, and in covering that, um, there was some some information that I've just kind of read that I'll just sort of throw in, which is um, uh, Rio Tinto have uh, come out this week and made some comments around um, basically that they're starting to see that with the recent change in governments with Labor coming in and I guess these high-level discussions, um, the work the government is doing is being felt. Um, the thawing is coming back into business circles into the Australian Chinese Business Council. We're feeling it in China as well as our Chinese teams. So I guess, you know, with the ambassador, there's a number of questions if you want to go and look at the... Um, interviewed with a whole bunch of stuff, I guess, that was a lot more pertinent to uh, Taiwan. Yeah, I followed it and I saw all the Taiwan questions. But that point you just made, I mean, I'm not going to comment on Taiwan. And I'm, Neither am I. Apologies yeah. if my laugh seemed flippant then. I take that Australian journalist thing very seriously. It's just the comment that Brad made about my, my chiming in. But if I just separate that out and I think about it from the Rio Tinto perspective, mm. those positive news for Australia, positive news for China, um, and it's something like in that obviously it's a complex situation but if we're getting our exports back up that's one of our if not our i think that's our biggest trading partner, biggest trading partner by we, at least double i think we went through that yeah, on the pod two ago where yeah china was well i think it was three times above our next closest yeah, it's um, two and a half times uh, ahead of america i would um, say make hey, up a third top, of our exports i was about to say top of my head a third of our import exports so yeah thank you brad but anyway i just um that, that part in particular is good news. But, yeah, there was a lot of questions about Taiwan and the journalists were pretty hard-hitting, so. Yeah, and the journalists were hard-hitting. Um, and I think it was, you know, there was just some interesting... If you're into geopolitics, um, I think there were some interesting bits and bits and pieces there for you to kind of... Well, you have to be, don't you? Like Because if we, if we actually think about this, uh, bring it back to a money in the tank perspective, and Jolly, love your thoughts on this, but we need to be aware of geopolitics, especially in that Absolutely. region, because of... One, how much China supplies to the world. And if you want to think about Taiwan, in particular, the semiconductor industry and how important that is to the world, as we've seen through the pandemic, you know, what tensions, uh, fears of war, Jolly, what do you think about? It's a, it's a balancing act because, you know, yep. short term, we're already in supply demand chain issues. So you don't want to kind of um, extrapolate or accentuate what's going on there. And then secondly, yeah, China's a huge trading partner for us in Australia and Australasia. Um, but you've got a balancing act, I think, over the medium to longer term. You don't want to have a Band-Aid fix where it's just like, yep, you know, we'll sweep it under the rug. It's all, all you know, dead and buried. We're all good to go now and we're fine and everything's hunky-dory and we're, we're moving on with things. You want to have a bit of that, but you also want to sort of have that kind of trepidation to say, hey, you know, don't forget where we've been the last few years. We're not, we're not here to be pushed around or bullied into coercing us to say things just to appease you. 
but you know we're going to stand our ground but we're also going to work with you and be cordial and try to make a working relationship well you will respect you know we'll respect what's going on in your um country but we've also got to respect our stance and view as well, well you can't force us into having certain opinions one what can i say can i jump in there sorry yeah, Brad, sure. I'll, I'll let you have a go at it too but agree with everything you said jolly one point that the ambassador made yesterday which i agree with is that when you read about news chinese news in australia i was going to say this point so you can take it yeah, yeah fair <laughs> enough it's it's always negative mm-hmm. and, you, and you got to remember this is a country of 1.4 billion people not all of those people are the government and not all australians are our government and i really feel like we we see a bias in the media here and unless you go far and wide to read external sources i'm not saying i i agree with any of i disagree with anything you've said and i'm not saying i um when it comes to things like human rights issues in china i am against how the uyghurs have been treated but every country has issues like these and it's like you need to be able to separate them like you were saying it gets murky it gets complex so that's what I, that's what that's what i want to say on that point of view i feel like sometimes the positive parts of um, China and the relationship with China and Australia are not well documented in yeah. our media. Yeah, there's definitely positive and, and look to the how successful we've made a trading relationship for the past, you know, couple of decades now with 40, China 50 being, years. Yeah, yeah. China being our huge, you know, a huge biggest trading partner. Um it's a it's a working relationship and it works well. And we've got a lot of Chinese, you know, um citizens that come here to make Australia their home and um, it's it's fantastic. And I think the the relationship in the tourism sector as well has been really good too. So um, we we do try to come at um, I guess money in the tank with reading between the lines and reading mm. between the, the the bullshit that sometimes the media and the ag- aggregators will push because they will push those certain topics and the, the agendas and try to just pick out the press club lines of just the negative things or just the, this you know he just he said this but they'll miss maybe you know a large portion of positive stuff too so because bad news sells we know that absolutely yeah <laughs> and just uh, closing out on that one on a couple of points there which is um, obviously TSMC is a huge one. Um, yeah, and it's the only product at the moment being silicon and chips that isn't under embargo from China or Taiwan. So surprise, surprise, because of its importance. Um, also, um, so most semiconductors, Brad. Semiconductors, correct. TSMC, most advanced semiconductor, um, which are correct. used for yeah, car, car, um, uh, everything, yeah, everything, cars and laptops, laptops, computers, everything, yeah. everything high end. Um, they're down to three nanometers. Um, on their chips, so they're kind of you know from an advance. Um, and then I guess you know the important thing is that China also um, has just failed again. So they put together a massive slush fund of about 120 billion US dollars to jumpstart their semiconductor industry. And um, I just kind of was watching. You know, I spent a good eight hours, nine hours this week, kind of deep diving into the Chinese semiconductor industry. Uh, for a second big, time. Big week and for you, mate. Big week for me. Uh, COVID <laughs> and just reading uh, semiconductor stuff. Well, when but, you um, got COVID, what else are you going to do? I'll be, I'll be, I've got, um, I'm doing a bit of research for um, an article on, I guess, the economics of second semiconductors that I'll, I'll be putting up. But um, very interesting to kind of see how, for a second time now, this one of their kind of big, big leaps forward has kind of been overrun by corruption internally. Um, and so their kind of reliance on, on TSMC is, is something to try to get away from twice and, and haven't. But going by your point, Arnie, I think it's really, really important that I think the big thing for me was um, one, um, which was a kind of an expert's kind of assessment of, of this, um, you know, ambassador in the press club, which is the point when the, when the ambassador raised that point about Australian news cycles and negativity, and it's just focusing on that. Um, 
you know, when it was all fact-checked and looked at it, the expert came back saying, yeah, we're, we're not so good. So you've got to look at that middle ground. And I think the last point I'll make on it is um, when the ambassador talked about there's nothing wrong with Australia having their own opinions, um, but he goes, can we start? <laughs> I did have a chuckle. Can we start treating it like we are in a marriage? He goes, where if we need to do it behind closed doors and have conversations or if we need to go to a counsellor, we can discuss our issues, but can we stop going out into the streets and just announcing our relationship <laughs> problem? Because when you announce it to the, if you announce, if we discuss it behind closed doors, it stays behind closed doors and we can move forward. When we announce it on the streets about what's going wrong in our marriage, then it, then it leaves parties really, really like, you know, non-amicable. So, kind of, so they don't want free speech or... It's about tensions, mate. I think it's about tensions and about um, what is discussed uh, in the open, i.e. Penny Wong's uh, signing on to, you know, a joint statement from Japan, etc., on Taiwan and announcing it out to the world, ignoring... And he made a point. Now, I'm not... Again, I am... I think I've stated my views quite um, clearly on, on China. And I won't go into it again. But when it looked at those five previous kind of announcements made by the ambassador in which Penny Wong and that ignored, and then it wasn't until the latest kind of the, the sixth announcement that then they responded with this letter. And so it's just about kind of, I think there needs to be a bit better um, comms. And that's not saying that China doesn't throw around their weight, but I think, like Arnie said, I don't think that, uh, you know, Australia doesn't throw around their weight in Asia Pacific or nor does uh America or the US, I think. No, no country's perfect, including all the three you just mentioned. Australia, China, and US all have human rights issues, current issues, yes. and our media focuses on the Chinese ones. So, you know, why like I mean, anyone see the Irish MP? No, in the I pink didn't. in the pink uh singlet in the middle of the EU parliament. What a boss. No, I didn't see uh, it. With a massive, like, uh, blonde hair dropping off and he's just, like, rocked up to EU Parliament and he started making a conversation just about, not about China at all, but um, just talking about democracy and um, discussing America and saying, just talking about their internal kind of starvation rates, poverty rates, da 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 da, da. He's comparing the EU to America. Um, I think it's just uh, an interesting thing not to forget the uh, forest for the trees, but uh, I think that's that subject probably uh, wraps it's, up. But jolly, <laughs> but jolly free speech champion over there hey, hey it's, it's, a, a, it's a balancing act because there's a fine yes. line there's a fine line between um yeah free speech and being kind of muted or being yeah. kind of told not Mate, to you don't want to pander to anyone. end of the day i hate i don't like scott morrison okay that was yeah. just like may i put it by my hand but with scott morrison calling out ahead of for instance making the investigation into covid which set off this whole trade thing in china absolute bs right because he was just merely commenting, saying that we should have impartial and transparent investigation into COVID. And China didn't like that free speech. So again, I will sit, yeah. sit firmly on the side of free speech. Yeah, you got to um, be. Yeah, you got to be careful. Obviously, some things, yeah, are better left um, to be sorted behind closed doors because it's just going to create angst and annoyance, yes. which is probably not worth not worth that. But at the same Sometimes. time, you don't want to be gagged in terms of not being able to, um, you know, stand up for what you think and you feel is right. Uh, you know, I was going to make a comment about gagging, but I'm not going to go there. One point, I, one point I might, I might just, I don't even know if I should add this, but you know, when, you, when, when you get, when you get sentiment like this in the news, which is negative, and you can see it in America over the last year, there was a rise in anti-Asian sentiment based on media. And I was living there having the amount of Asian shootings. Yeah, and it's like that's what I mean by it's it's a sentiment thing and it's a tensions thing. It's like because yeah, the political things need to be addressed, but if you do it behind closed doors, you don't 
incite the populace in negative ways that you don't I mean, having a Malaysian Chinese wife who's been kind of abused on public transport three times since we've been back in Australia. Um, And, you know, China being used and COVID being used as the reasons to abuse it. I mean, it does, it does come out to play that sentiment. And so we've just got to be careful, uh, careful of that. But free speech 101, all for it. All right. Yeah, move on, move on, move on to the happy topic of crypto fraud. A little bit of COVID, don't do that to me. uh, You can't do that to me, Arns. What are you doing? Jeez. All right. Crypto. Before we go into fraud, (laughs) I thought we'll just start off on a glass half full, eh? A little bit of of green on the charts. A little bit of green on the charts. If if you're listening to the podcast, Brad's just... uh, Brought up the top fifteen uh, crypto stock, uh, crypto. What do we call them? Uh, crypto coins, coins. Uh, up coins. on the screen, and uh, <laughs> yeah, the majority have got some green charts happening. So I think the big, uh, the big one to have a look at is uh, ETH up twelve percent today. Well, that's good because I haven't actually looked at my Binance account for about six months. So <laughs> most people are jolly. You're, <laughs> you're not alone on that, Brent. It's like the other day I just I logged into like my uh, my ledger wallet, which just has my remaining little bit of, and I was like, oh. Hello. You've gone up, you've gone from absolutely nothing to something. Um, Bitcoin also up uh, 6%. Um, I think the key things here, I started to think about things like Ethereum uh, up uh, about 90%, 200% over the last month. Mm. Um, you've got Cardano up from about 37 cents up to 54. Did, got... um, did B- BTC, Bitcoin end up dropping below that 20K kind it, of um, intraday? Point? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I don't think it actually closed. Um, but you've got like Avalanche and stuff up 23%, Polkadot. Um, and so these are all the you know top level. You've got to remember like Polkadot um, and Cardano, the other two founders of the three founders of Ethereum. So these are all pretty solid, um, solid coins. Even our, uh, even our first topic discussion of Solana. Um, you would have seen up about 10% over the week and 8% today. It just goes to show that some, um, you know, the whole crypto market's up 6% today um, with obviously Ethereum uh, trending um, uh, off the back of just, you know, flat inflation news, better than expected. Mm. It's uh, it's crazy because there's a whole bunch of money still on the sidelines of um, of growth investors. I was kind of reading an article and, and I also catch up with a whole bunch of, uh, growth hedge funds and, and, and PE and VC firms because uh, of Hammertech, but um, there's so much money on the sidelines at the moment because they all raised new funds over the past like six months um, from kind of the end of last year through to about May this year, and they're all just sitting on this cash that's going up. So any opportunity to kind of just jump into this growth <laughs> market is just getting overdone, which is which is a bit crazy, uh, in my opinion. I think they should uh, just chill out there for a little bit. But uh, anyway, um, good if you're holding uh, some cryptos and growth stocks, uh, good times. Um, but discussing, um, I guess, the topic, and yes, I do listen to the podcast. I think there's a cheeky comment made um, of whether or not Brad... Uh... <laughs> I, I figured you would because you edit it. So. <laughs> yeah, you, would hope, you would hope I watch it. I was like, I was just listening to like the bits and, I was, and then when that came out, I was like, yeah, I edit. So I have to listen to it, of course. <laughs> I might say, no, no, forced. I uh, love listening to episodes <laughs> that I'm not involved in. Um, so Solana, um, and I think last week, um, I don't know if the kind of facts were out last week, I believe about a week ago, but they started coming out about five, six days ago. 
Um, so the hack stole eight million dollars worth of Solana. Um, there was also some other coins actually hit, um, and it was mainly to do um, or all to do with a wallet provider, so a a digital cryptocurrency uh, wallet provider called Slope Wallet. Mm. Um, it was saving users. <laughs> this is just so stupid. It was saving users seed phrases in plain text. So what does that mean? When you um, create a wallet um, on any of these cryptocurrencies, or if you have yourself a hard wallet, which I do on my desk. Here we are. Got one of these little little fancy things. Um, <laughs> not much on there at the moment. Um, then you get a uh, you know, 12, 20, 22, or 24 word seed phrase given to you. And that seed phrase is for backup. So if I ever lose this, I can restore my crypto wallets on another one of these using that 24 word seed phrase. Um, and so basically it allows any person that wants to gain access to a wallet. Uh, if you have their seed phrase, you can just clone their whole wallet and steal whatever's in it. Um, and it's just that Slope was used for mainly Solana. Um, and so that's a lucky, a lucky thing. But they found that multiple wallets had this problem, which is they were storing. So instead of um, when you create a wallet, you get given that seed phrase. And, you know, the one that I use um, say basically write this down on a piece of paper. And basically this is the last time you ever see this. And if you don't write this down and you lose your, your, uh, your crypto wallet, then see you later, right? That's why you've got people, you know, uh, like that bloke who trying yes. to go through the the dumpster, the tip to try and get his billion. He raised twenty million dollars from an American VC to go into a UK tipster to find two hundred fifty million dollars worth of uh, Bitcoin. Should have wrote, right? wrote down the seed phrase. Should have wrote down the seed phrase. And so what was happening was this wallet was storing people's seed phrases on their servers and not even encrypting that. They were storing it in plain text. Oh, that's so stupid. And so the vulnerability and what plain text means is just as it sounds, everybody, plain text. It looks like, you know, you go into, uh, you know, a notepad document and it'll have uh, Arnie and the Bitcoin wallet and then his, uh, his, his plain text <laughs> keys. So it wasn't even a mastermind hacker. It was just some, just some scrub who got in there and just saw the plain text and was like, easy done. Yeah, because I was saved on the um, Slope server um, and the phrases were not encrypted, anybody with access to the specific Sentry server could potentially access users' private keys. The low security standard will lead to a breach giving hackers the ability to acquire C phrases and trade funds. So basically, um, the Slope mobile app sends off Momomic via you know, transport layer security to the centralized Sentry server, which just shouldn't happen. They should not be mm. sending anybody's keys off. And so think of this as just, um, you know, again, all it's done is, um, in my opinion, which is good, is just reigniting a long debate around the security around hot wallets, which is ones that like are software related, mm -hmm. and uh, and and these little ones. Cold uh, storage. So if you've got you know a significant amount of money or even enough money just to make it painful if you're going to lose the money, um, highly recommend cold. Everybody just kind of putting that out there, and that's not advice at all. That's no just, advice, general in nature. That's, that's just, just security advice. That's not even investment advice. We um, educate here. You do with the information what you will. Correct, correct, correct. Um, and so that's uh, the Solana. That, that's what it was. Um, quick few other things. Um, ETH merge. Yep. So I know that we talked about Ethereum merge, but uh, institutional investors are piling into Ether at the moment, which have recorded seven straight weeks of positive inflow flows since the announcement. 
Inflows were another 16 million last week, totaling $160 million of inflows in the last seven weeks from institutional investors into ETH. Mm. Um, uh, it's due to greater clarity relating to the upcoming merge, which is set for September 19th. We'll still, we'll still see if it... Uh, I don't it's, think it's, it's not actually known, right? But they've, they've been this week, they've been doing the test merge. So it's, it's imminent. It is imminent. But again, we Vitalik and uh, ETH are known for just kind of doing it when it's right, not necessarily hitting dates. Um, and this increase is going to, uh, just for everyone knowing, that a block time will drop to 12 seconds instead of 13 seconds. It's going to be the first of five plan upgrades for the network. Um, it's going to increase speeds by about 10%, um, but it's going to lay the path for the surge, which is the next plan upgrade, which will bring 100,000 transactions per second, which will be, I don't know, I think Visa is about 20,000 or 30,000. So it's starting to go, you know, two, three times faster. And then the move to pr proof of stake instead of proof of work um, will not only bring down the cost of and um, price of video cards for all us gamers out there and never <laughs> never have to deal with that again. Um, I guess it's going to bring kind of the yield-bearing asset with cash flows. Um, so, you know, there's going to be some yield to be made on ETH in the future. Interesting space to watch. Interesting and last one is a short squeeze on Celsius. Um, okay. which is uh, Celsius 4, you know, is that massive kind of uh, borrowing lending platform that went down and kind of went bankrupt in the American courts and it's going through uh, going through the, I can't remember, there's two types of bankruptcy in America. It's the one where you can restructure. Yeah, chapter one, 13, restructure one. one. Yeah. And I think it's seven. I think it's the 13 one. Yeah, yeah. Um, chapter seven, the bad one. Um, and so the sell token has uh, jumped to $1.63 on Monday and is now trading at a higher price than before Celsius encountered financial difficulties due to a community short squeeze, everybody. Of so it got, got down to 15 cents and it's up to $1.63 at the moment because the community behind it believed that there was a lot of shorts on it that need to be filled and it's just GameStop all over again. Don't just they thought know. I'd throw that in. Don't they know that SHIB is the way? Anyway. <laughs> Obviously not. Uh, segue into the rapid fire news items. Then, yeah. uh, Brad, thanks for the crypto update. I'll make this very quick, boys. All right. So <clears throat> doesn't mention which city, but China has locked down a city of 1.4 million people after COVID outbreak. So they're still pursuing um, COVID zero. Elon Musk seeks to question the Twitter employees who count the bots. So still <laughs> still beating that drum. And I also will say that um, over the last, over the week, in the early part of the week, there was a lot of selling pressure in Tesla, and it's been come to light that through Form Fours that Elon had to lodge that it was him selling uh, something that almost close to seven billion dollars worth of his shares because, and he, he quoted in one of his tweets that just in case one of the third parties does not come to the table for the Twitter acquisition, he wants to avoid an emergency sale of Tesla stock. So it's it's been hypothesized now that. With his current stake and all of his funding raising over the last however long, he now has enough money himself to go ahead with the deal plus his um, debt financing. Uh, Fed Evans quote today, uh, sorry, so this week's inflation report, first positive report, and they expect um, interest rates will increase this year. They are optimistic that uh, core PC inflation will be close to 2.5%. Evans also said the economy is almost surely a little more fragile, but would take something adverse to trigger a recession. And then has quoted as saying that he expects next year's economic growth for America to be 1.5% to 2%. And the last rapid fire news item is that the IRS in America 
has doubled their workforce. They have, <laughs> oh, they've been a they lot have of, uh... 80,000 people and extra 80,000 jobs. So they're going to go to 160,000. And now on a manpower personnel basis, the IRS in America has more people than all other government agencies there combined. IRS out in force. Eighty-seven thousand new IRS workers this week. Watch out! Uh, we won't, we won't, we won't make a comment for any further than that. Jelly, what, what are you going to say? Sorry, watch, <laughs> out, watch, watch out! Watch out! Wesley Snipes. I think he got done for tax evasion many, many years ago. I'm anyway, sure he's all. I'm sure he's all clean now. Um, we got a 50-50. What's going on, Jelly? No, no. Quick, a, a couple more to tack onto you there. So the yep. Reserve Bank of Australia, Phil Lowe, was laughed when he told a laughed at when he. Uh, uh, told a conference in Zurich, Switzerland, June that Australia only had official inflation data released every three months uh, rather than <laughs> monthly, which the U- US, the UK, Canada published monthly. And I believe we are we might be going to monthly from October 26. A monthly CPI indicator will be published alongside the September quarter inflation data. How's that? So, We're being laughed at. Thanks, Phil. There you go, laughed at. Yeah, um, and then. The other one was the uh, Russia-Ukraine invasion in Feb caused the average petrol prices, as we know, to surge to above $2 a litre for the first time ever. In the March budget, the formal, former Liberal Treasurer, Frydenberg, responded by having the fuel excise um, come off um, for six months, and that's going to come back on again. So uh, we expect, uh, I think it's around uh, October, as well, uh, September, sorry, mm. uh, 28th, uh, the excise will be rising back on. So... Um, enjoy the reprieve at the moment and we'll see what happens to fuel prices. We're expecting them to maybe get above $2 again. I did enjoy that one in question time where you had uh, the opposition uh, gone on about, about you know, putting these the excise back in and it was like, but that was the plan that you put in place and it's just getting followed. I just love politics. Stuff gets... Uh, no comment on that, stuff, eh? Stuff just gets uh, thrown around. And really quick, on both sides. <laughs> a really quick Q&A today from Carly M. So thanks for sending in the Q&A and the question, Carly. We love hearing from the tankers. So whenever you have a question, uh, where's the best place for them to get us at, uh, Arnie? At Money in the Tank on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And we prefer the questions coming through Facebook and, uh, and YouTube. Yeah. Any, anywhere you can get us at. Anywhere you get us at. Messenger's fine, uh, whatnot. So this one from Carly, which was a good one. So she just noticed that the banks recently with lending have started to offer fixed rates at a lower rate again for about a four year term. So, um, you know, what's the thought uh, around the thought pattern around that? So um, I guess in terms of the, that, that question, it's a great one from Carly and it's prevalent to sort of uh, we talk about rates quite a bit here and, and mm. borrowing rates and whatnot, but you know, the actuaries that are behind, <laughs> you know, the banking sector that make these rates, they're sort of, I guess forecasting uh, forecasters as to what they deem will occur with rates down the track. So they that um, four year fixed rate coming off me- is meaning they're thinking that the rates will go up, but then inevitably come down a touch. So they're trying to entice consumers, and don't forget the banks—they're working for the banks. So they're trying to entice consumers to say, "Hey, lock in. Look at us out here in four years. We've got a really attractive rate." They're, they're trying to get you to lock in at whatever it is, 4.99 for a four-year fixed term, knowing very well that they feel that variables will come off and below that at that period of time. So uh, in between that period of time, I should say. So uh, don't forget, yeah, the actuaries are always trying to err on the side of getting people to lock in, um, potentially on aspect of fear or comfort or whatnot. And everyone seek their own you know, personal advice as a general in nature. But um, you know, that's why the fixed rates are coming off is because they feel that uh, over that period of time that the variables might dip under under that. And if they can get you locking in at a four-year term, then you they, they, they're they trying to get the win on their side saying that you'll be paying overs. Nothing to add to that, but I'll, I'll one thing to add to that, and Brady can jump in as well if you want. Yeah, I was going to add in, but you go for it. 
there's no way to know. Um, and that, as Jolly said, they their best guess is obviously they think it's going to come down, which is why they want to lock in because it's certainty for them as well. Uh, but it is still a roll of the dice as to what will happen in four years. No one's got a crystal ball. So it might be prudent to lock in and it may not be. So it, yeah, no, one saw, no one saw the RBA jumping as quickly as they did. Um, and that's a, a perfect example of what, what I just said is it's really hard to tell, really hard to know. Um, and I guess when people ask that question, is it the right time to lock in? You've just got to take into account your personal circumstances and have a feeling what's what's going to work for you. Um, you know, I guess largely in Australia for majority um, of the time, people are variable in the higher percentage, but during the, the last couple of years, they did see a spike in fix because you, you couldn't get really a lower rate. And then we had the last couple of years. So people were right to fix in at that time. And when it starts to go up, it's really, it's a bit of a guessing game after that. Yeah. yeah the other thing I'll add in is um, obviously the banks and, and the central bank have got it wrong twice in a row, both in terms of when, um, inflation going to hit and then secondly how fast rates we're going to get rise so you know, no one knows what's going to happen and at the moment I believe that it's um, mainly being led by uh, CBA um, I know that Westpac um, has also joined the thing but it's, it's mainly the CBA's actuaries and they're putting their money where their mouth is like you said Joel um, mm. they're going out there trying to win some market share after their bumper what do they just hit of their profit uh, yeah, yeah, bumper, yeah bumper profit um, 9.5 Something billion. It worked out to be something like uh hey, it was a significant amount. Uh, it was, was significant. It, it was, uh, let's have a look quickly, really quickly. Uh, I, can't, I can't remember. It was oh, yeah. nine bill. But um, yeah. I, did, I did enjoy Brad's glancing blow there at the central bank on the way through with his quick glancing blow. I just, I, I just, I don't, <laughs> don't respect them at uh, all. Uh, oh, come on. But I will say, Jolly, your advice is perfect. I think it's down to the individual choice, what's going on at that moment in time. No one knows where it's going. Um, CBA obviously believes um, that we are going to um, going to be CBA optimistic 2.6% by November, dropping to 2.1% by the same month next year. Um, and so ANZ on the flip side, uh, I think it's 3.35 and 2.85. So it's about like, you know, 65, 75 basis points difference between ANZ and uh Combank, the last one is that uh, it's also to do with the cost of funding. You just got to fix mortgages has declined. So you, you just got to uh, Jolie's catchphrase: take it with a grain of salt. Grain of salt, salt, baby. Grain of salt. Love um, it. Fifty right. fifty for this week, Cruz. So we've got a good one here. Uh, fifty fifty. You can also send in your fifty fifties to us as well. So feel free to any Q and A's or fifty fifty recommendations. We love to hear from the tankers in regards to that. So. Um, this one's, I guess, come at the helm of a lot of people starting to travel abroad a bit more and, and we're thinking of doing a trip away maybe in 23, um, somewhere we're thinking um, beachy. But mm. this one, uh, okay, I guess, comes up, comes, up in, comes up in discussion. Or well, beachy, uh, we're thinking Thailand. We're thinking, <laughs> we're thinking Japan, but Japan doesn't have beach, really... Vietnam, mate. Beaches. Check it. Vietnam. Uh, you got a five and eight-year-old to throw into the equation, Brad. So it does. Vietnam, yeah, Vietnam possibly. Might be a go. We'll see. Check we'll out Hoi An or Phuket. So you chat to, I guess, you know, people with kids and whatnot. You talk resorts and then you talk, okay, beach and town and, and what works. So the 50-50 today is if you had the choice, would you prefer to stay an hour away from the main town and the main beach, but a really good resort that had everything? Or would you prefer to stay at lesser accommodation? So just a, a, a four-star, three-star, let's say, three-and-a-half-star, but within two minutes of the beach and two minutes of the township. So the resort has everything, has pools, has you know service, has kid mining facilities, has 
um, you know, restaurant, dining, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Our kids are must in this. Uh, I don't know. Personal circumstances. Personal, personal circumstances. circumstances. So you can make your own choice. This is general in nature, these questions, mate. Lifestyle choices. Um, so, yeah, would you prefer that with uh, being away from the beach in the town, so an hour away, or would you prefer to stay at a lesser place that doesn't have those facilities, but you're a, a minute or two away from the town and a minute or two away from the beach? Ah, I'll jump in. I'm always a fan of getting away from people. So, um, away from the town, Jolly. So, like, say in Vietnam, like for instance, Hoi An, ancient city, food town, awesome. Stay in Da Nang, 40 minutes outside in a resort with, you know, massages, pools, beautiful stuff. And if you want to go into town, you just catch the uh, complimentary uh, bus in the town every hour, whatever it is, and uh, get a bit of culture and <laughs> culture and stuff. Um, so, no, I'm a, even, even without kids, a fan of not necessarily being in the hustle and bustle. I, I will take the opposite view. I prefer to be in the thick of it. But, I mean, I know I have to make a choice here, but if I put a caveat in, when I go on holiday to a place like, let's just use Thailand as a hypothetical, I always tend to do both. I have part of the trip in the thick of it. And then I have a part of the trip, which is, you know, in a remote location. Because the point you made, Jolly, about the amenities at the resort doesn't really bother me. And when you do get those amenities, even if they're far away, you tend to pay through the nose for them. You know, if I'm paying like, if I'm paying Aussie prices for beers in my resort in Arroway, I'd rather be in the thick of it getting cheap beers, you know, in, in, in the, in the city. So should have said all inclusive. I should have said all inclusive. Yeah, yeah, so I've got to say, when I was thinking that option, it is all inclusive. All inclusive. Oh, well, I, I'd still, I'm still going to choose the one that's close to the stuff. I think Oof. in general, even, even with the kids in tow, yes, me. You can only ever do the uh, resorts when, uh, when that's an option. A lot of the time you don't even have that option. You just in the thick of it. But anyway, Joel, you? I, I prefer the thick of it because I mainly because I get really restless and I hate sitting around and like I'd get bored sitting around doing nothing on holidays. I always like to be doing stuff. So yeah, I'm, I'm a, in the thick of it guy. If I can be a minute from the beach, then I can go to the beach when I want. If I'm a minute from the town, I can go into town when I want to and I don't feel... I get a bit kind of claustrophobic. I'm the same on uh, random facts, same on cruises. I hate being on like, even like a Yarra cruise for two hours. I hate being on a place where I can't kind of get off. I sort of get a bit, yeah, a bit toey. Anyway, oh, that's, so there you go. that's a good one. That All the really different, good one. Uh, yeah, it's good. I think Arnie, you're, you've hit the nail on the head though. A bit of a hybrid, mate, with you. I said I'd go think of it if I had to choose, but you know, in reality, there is a bit of gray area there. Well, Patagonia so. was six weeks of the thick of it and then one week in a resort, right? Was, yeah, yeah. It's like, weird. you know, if, you, if you're going somewhere like Bangkok, you don't want to spend a heap of time in Bangkok, so you, you go for the thick of it for a little bit. You're not getting the choice, boys. You're not getting the choice. Right, one of the other. Another BKK. One of the yeah, other. That's I'm, like going I'm going to think of it. All right, All right, right up, done. crew. All right, All right tankers. Uh, yeah, hit us up. <laughs> Any questions coming up? 50-50s Q&A. We'd love to hear Please, from you. Please, yeah, the and, questions uh, are a topics. big one. Anything you want to hear from us. Yeah. And any feedback. Feedback's yeah, always cheers. a must. Thank you. All right, Thanks. guys. See you all. Take care. Bye.